Welcome to the Tin Lounge, where travel advisors Corrine and Teresa read you the travel industry news headlines that are currently unread in your inbox, so you can leave here feeling informed. If you're new around here, TIN stands for Travel Industry News, and on today's full episode, we're going to cover some of the biggest stories from this month. I'm Corrine, co-owner of Journeys Travel Company and creator of Travel Biz Boss. And I'm Teresa, owner of Get Out Custom Travels and creator of Fam with Intention. We've got a lot to cover, but before we get started, we wanted to give a shout out to our podcast network, Trav Market Media. Head on over to travmarketmedia.com to find some other fantastic travel podcasts. Yes. And before I get started with my article, I wanted to tell you that, remember on the episode last week, how we were talking about the cranberry sauce and like the one we mm-hmm. like is the one in the can with the lines and that's it. So on Thursday, we had reservations for Thanksgiving at a local restaurant here in Tampa, 1130 reservation. I get there, we order our food, we get our food. It was a pre-fixed menu. And so I, of course, order the turkey entree and it had cranberry sauce on it, but it was of course the ones where you see the whole cranberries, you know, cause it was a nice mm-hmm. place and I eat a bite of it. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is actually really good. And my mom's like, well, now you have to get on the podcast and tell everybody that you're okay <laughs> with non canned cranberry sauce. I'm like, Oh my God, the episode was just published this morning and she's already done listening to it. <laughs> now I have to mention it. On our you, you have to say, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, Thanksgiving food was, oof, so uh, ours was so good, I have mm, to say. Everybody imagine. contributed. Nobody wore themselves out cooking. The turkey was juicy. We did not have cranberry sauce. We kept it kind of simple. Mm. My mac and cheese was not dry and dusty. It was delicious. <laughs> And we still have pumpkin pie left over. We're not quite done. We've done a good job eating up all the leftovers, except we just still have a little bit of pumpkin pie left over because Costco. Well, so while we all had a great Thanksgiving with new revelations. (laughs) I wanted to add something really quickly too. Um, I was just, we were just discussing before we got started, TPI Rocks, which is our host TPI's annual conference. Uh, We will both be there. We definitely love to meet anyone who is going to be attending and also, I, for Travel Biz Boss, am going to be at the local at 5 o'clock on Monday for pre-dinner drinks. So anyone who wants to join me there, please feel free. Maybe Teresa will come too. We'll see. Um, but please definitely come up and say hello if you see us there because we would love to meet you. I will make it up. Um, let me add it to my calendar. Yes. I feel like I keep thinking it's in another time zone, but it's not. It's like Eastern Standard Time, Teresa. Like, you're not going. I am actually having to adjust, and I just cross my (laughs) fingers that it all transfers over properly when I cross uh, time zones. But (laughs) So first up for me is Travel Age West has an article on the 13 top travel trends to know for 2023. And I love trends. I would say that we are both pretty trendy, so we just want to know what's going on. I also like how many T's were in that headline. <laughs> Top travel trends. <laughs> For 2023. 13. 2023. Oh, heck yes. So this article starts with saying, there's no shame in asking for driving directions, especially if you're not really sure where you're going. So in hopes of better understanding the road ahead next year when it comes to travel, we asked for some help from several tourism industry pros with longtime expertise in the hotel, airline, tour operator, and cruise sectors. 
first thing that's mentioned, it's not travel trend number one, this is like prefacing travel trend number one, is that the COVID-19 crisis will not necessarily remain relevant in 2023. That is the preference to it. Let's hope. That's pretty bold, but I think we're seeing great trends Mm -hmm. moving towards that direction. So hopefully, fingers crossed. First travel trend, vacation spend is not slowing. We've touched on this. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Get those dollar bills, guys. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) they say their budgets. One thing be like, how about this? Like I respect your budget. However, I want you to have the best time possible. So please consider this. Yes. Tread number two, booking windows reflect consumer confidence. So Jacqueline Liebel-Cote, president and chief brand officer for Colette, said the tour operator has seen a noticeable change in when customers are booking vacations. Earlier this year, they might have been a little closer in, but we are definitely seeing things stabilize a bit. Booking patterns for 2023 are looking a lot more like they did in 2019. And I think some of that is evidence of far more confident consumers. That is really true. I have plenty of bookings in 2024. I have plenty of people booking very close in and plenty of people planning way ahead. But I will say the downside is when your client who books all the way out to 2024 goes to her family for Thanksgiving and finds out that someone's getting married during her Japan trip and now we have to rearrange everything. That's the downside of booking way. But, you know, it's nice to have those trips on the books. Travel trend number three, airlines have learned some lessons. U.S. passenger airlines employed nearly 494,000 full and part-time workers at the end of September this year, a figure that's roughly 3.6% higher than the total number of employees working for domestic passenger airlines in September of 2019. So this is their uh, lesson learning from their mistake of being understaffed. So I'm happy to see that the hiring process has been successful for the airlines. Um, Peter Vlitas, executive vice president of Internova Travel Group, he's noted that airlines have done airlines have done a good job of hiring people back while also better managing their capacity in recent months. He says, but operationally, I do not think we're going to have as many issues with the airlines. Airlines have become more humble because of the pandemic. It opened their eyes to a lot of service disruptions. And I don't think any of them want to repeat the problems we had in the last two years. For the love of God, please do not do that again. Travel trend number four, labor is still a concern at airports. So we're still seeing baggage issues. There might be delays. Um, Add to that. The world has become back to normal because strikes are happening again. I mean, when I saw that, I'm like, oh, okay, so we're back to normal. We're getting there. Travel trend five, airfare is not getting cheaper. Number six, people are paying for sustainable choices. Once again, we've Mm -hmm. touched on this multiple times. Do not be afraid to say, hey, this is why this might be a little higher priced because you're paying for X, Y, Z, and that should make you feel good. Yep. Travel trend number seven, there's more to do in the inclusivity space. Booking.com, they commissioned a survey of more than 500 LGBTQ plus U.S. travelers in April and May this year and found that 72% of those polled have experienced less than welcoming or uncomfortable experiences when traveling. And 50% of those respondents said they have encountered discrimination while traveling, either through stereotyping, being stared or laughed at, or being subjected to verbal abuse by other travelers or locals. 
Um, Tyrone Studemeyer, he's the senior vice president of global diversity, equity, and inclusion for Hyatt Hotels. He says he believes the tourism industry has made some real progress on the issue of inclusivity, but there's still work to be done. Um, some, yeah, well, some questions that he is asking and he thinks that people in the industry should be asking is, what can I do? What should we do differently? How do we show up? How do we be more inclusive? Um, and he says, even though they're making progress, it's still not fast enough. So in this article, it lists a handful of things that Hyatt has been doing to really bridge the gap here. Number eight, hotels have less issues of labor. Yay. Daily housekeeping once again. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Number nine, hotels are saying hello to groups. So they're seeing more group travel this year, I think, as conferences ramp back up. Yep. Weddings again, you know, all those cool group travel uh, experiences. And travel trend number 10, don't bet on room rate relief, especially at international hotels. And I thought that was the last one, but it's not. Travel Channel 11, (laughs) Ultra Lux Cruising is hot, hot, hot. Oh, yeah. Number 12, Europe is just fine. 13, Asia is beginning to stir. And that's it. There's 13. Oh, yeah, that was in the title. Remember, 13. All the T's. Well, 10. Well, 10 is a 10. T is, yeah. So for more details on those, go to our show notes and click on the link to read a bit more on the trends so that you have a better idea of what you can expect in the year we're about to head into in like a month. (laughs) I can't. Uh, I will jump on the trend train. Oh my (laughs) gosh, this is killing me. (laughs) My first article is from Travel Agent Central and it is a survey. Travelers want to experience destinations as locals. They crave more authenticity. Another thing that we have talked about frequently, and uh, they say we've heard the phrase authentic experiences used plenty in the last few years, and it looks like that will continue going forward. According to a recent study commissioned by travel booking platform, Get Your Guide, when it comes to traveling in 2023, Americans want to be more than mere tourists, meaning this desire is driving their travel plans to seek authentic and unforgettable experiences. About half of leisure travelers say experiencing a destination as a local is a high priority, while nearly as many are also concerned they're not having an authentic experience. So I do think we talked a little bit about Airbnb and, you know, vacation rentals last time. I do think that there are some people who want to book an accommodation like that because it makes them feel like they're having a more local experience. And I understand that. I don't necessarily think it's true. And I don't think your neighbors really love you all that much. They certainly don't see you as a local. There's people who are, you know, well-traveled who feel like they're not a tourist, but we are tourists. And we need to have that give and take with the industry, you know, but there are ways to experience a destination more like a local while still, you know, being respectful of the tourism industry and making sure that you are you know, a good participant in it. So as U.S. travelers weigh what matters most to their 2023 itineraries, experiencing new destinations authentically came into the spotlight. Excuse me, spotlight. While on vacation, at least three out of five feel a trip is wasted if they don't experience the local culture. In addition, almost 
97% expressed that certain aspects of the local culture are more important to them than others when traveling domestically or internationally. Not surprisingly, food tops the list, followed by seeing the sites, learning about the history, experiencing the local art scene, and interacting with the locals themselves. I'm sad that that's at the bottom of the list. So first thing, memories are worth every penny. 95% prefer to spend at least part of their trip on new and unique experiences. Almost half say the reason for the trip is primarily to have new and unique experiences. To make an international trip memorable, travelers are primarily looking to uncover something new. 64% want to discover something they didn't know about before. 60% want to visit a popular destination. And 56% want to explore a location they've never heard of. Oh, I love that. While nearly 93% are willing to cut back on some aspects to save money, such as gifts or souvenirs, eating out, transportation, or accommodations, the majority are not willing to cut back on their activities and experiences. That's me too. Like, I will take a more modest accommodation and prioritize the activities and experiences personally if that if that needs to be done. I want all mm-hmm. of it to be top-notch. But, sure. you know, if the budget won't allow, I will prioritize the activities and experiences. They say local guides bring incredible value. 98% of travelers say they recognize the benefits of having a local guide. Some of the benefits they might be missing without a local guide include being able to see things they wouldn't otherwise find out about, avoiding dangerous areas, and less risk of getting lost. The most common causes for concern when exploring on their own include overpaying and not being able to do all the things they planned. I know a lot of people who are like, I prefer to explore on my own. You know, these Rick Steves books are super detailed, and they are. Love me some Rick Steves. You are not going to see all of the things you you just cannot beat having a guide to take you directly to each place in the proper order. Make sure that you see and hear about the important things. You can do it on your own, but there's a lot of wasted time in there, I think is what I'm getting at. Like you can Absolutely. figure it out, but you are throwing away some of mm-hmm. your precious time while in destination trying to figure out all that stuff. Right. Especially at a place like Japan, for example, where mm-hmm. People go there and they're like, oh, you know, we can just explore on our own. I'm like, well, how do you know what to explore? Because even in just one city, Tokyo, there are so many different districts within that one city that it's close to impossible to be able to see the major things without first at least getting some kind of orientation with a guide. So usually for, you know, the first day or so there, I at least have a half day with a with a private guide or something just so they can tell them important information, facts, you know, things like that. And I love the background that guides bring to the destination. Nothing, nothing Absolutely. really needs that. Like I want to know the insights. And I'm just making myself a note here because I just gave myself a template idea for Travel Biz Boss. I might write up an email that describes the benefits for people like me who book like basic all-inclusive packages, a lot of cruises, Mm -hmm. perhaps an email explaining the benefits and downfalls of using a guide versus not using a guide would be a great thing to pop into the client experience. That is a great idea. Okay, thanks. Had to make that little (laughs) note real quick. (laughs) 
And that is the end of that short but sweet statistic-filled article. Well, another short but sweet article is my next one from Travel Pulse. And it's short. (laughs) 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 Um, This one talks about how ASTA has detailed how the 2022 election will impact travel advisors, if at all. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure ASTA has a longer write-up about this. um, And there are more, there's more than one article regarding this aspect of the industry. So if you're interested, you can just click on the link in our show notes. And then in the related article section, there's a whole bunch that you can click on if you want to know more. Um, It says last week, ASTA highlighted some key outcomes and important updates regarding pertinent items such as the Employee Retention Tax Credit Reinstatement, or the ERTC, the Visit America Act, Department of Transportation rulemakings, independent contractor policies, and FAA reauthorization. Uh, This came on the heels of the organization's initial post-election member update on November 10th. So it summarizes by saying the Democrats will retain control of the Senate while Republicans will control the House, well, this represents a meaningful change in the balance of power in Washington. Keep in mind that President Biden retains full control of the federal bureaucracy and any bills passed by the Republican-controlled House. Um, and that any bills would need to be passed by the Democratic-led Senate and vice versa and signed by the president to become law. In regards to the ERTC and Visit America Act, ASTA believes they require a bigger quote-unquote vehicle to attach themselves to in order to get through Congress. ERTC is a heavy lift given spending fatigue after trillions spent to respond to COVID-19 and related inflation concerns. Uh, ASTA also notes that this legislation doesn't meaningfully impact the federal budget. In our view, it stands a better chance of passage before the end of the year than does ERTC reinstatement. ASTA also predicts the final action on the FAA reauthorization bill will likely be pushed into 2024. In the meantime, ASTA will continue to prioritize things such as consumer refunds and ancillary fees and efforts to reduce the regulatory burden on travel advisors who sell air tickets. Those sound like good priorities to me. Yeah, always a fan of ASTA. Me too. Shall we dive into some excess baggage? Oh, heck yes. Let's do it. All right. It's time for excess baggage, which is a speed round of headlines that are pretty self-explanatory, so you can learn a lot in just a couple of minutes. According to Travel Market Report, TSA hit a post-pandemic milestone with 2.56 million passengers screened. Another article from them outlines all of the cruise line group policies, all of them. I'm not going to go over them, but I bookmarked the article, and I think you should find it in our show notes and do the same if you book cruise groups. Travel Weekly reports that Norwegian Cruise Line will no longer introduce one Prima-class ship a year, citing supply chain delays affecting the yet-to-be-named third and fourth ships. NCL CFO Mark Kempa said the delay is strictly 100% as a result of shipyard delays from supply chain constraints. The third and fourth Prima ships are currently delayed by four to five months each, he said. Another one from them says that Frontier Airlines has done away with customer support by telephone. The carrier's former customer support number now answers with the following message. We offer the lowest fares in the industry by operating our airlines as efficiently as possible. We want our customers to operate efficiently as well, which is why we make it easy to find what you need at flyfrontier.com or on our mobile app. We also have a chat service. The recording does not offer customers an option to speak with an agent. 
Travel Agent Central reports that effective at the start of the winter Caribbean and Central American sailing season, Star Clippers will no longer require passengers to be vaccinated against COVID-19. Non-vaccinated passengers will need to present a negative antigen test performed within 48 hours of embarkation or a negative PCR test performed within 72 hours of embarkation. The test must be administered by an authorized party and at-home tests will not be accepted. They also report that Tommy Bahama has announced plans for the debut of a new resort concept with the introduction of the Tommy Bahama Miramonte Resort and Spa in Indian Wells, California. According to Travel Pulse, a cruise ship passenger who was believed to have fallen overboard and been in the Gulf of Mexico for up to 15 hours was miraculously found alive following a search and rescue by the U.S. Coast Guard. The incident happened aboard the Carnival Cruise Lines Carnival Valor, which was sailing out of New Orleans. New Orleans on Wednesday. And our high note today is also from Travel Pulse. This high note is for Teresa. Airports in the United Kingdom are considering getting rid of the limitations and rules on liquids packed in luggage, as well as requirements for laptop computers by 2024. This is reported by the BBC. It's not an abandonment of the rules. Instead, it would be an enhancement. Airports will instead transition to high-tech sensors similar to 3D CT scanners that provide a cleaner, clearer picture And the official announcement is expected by Christmas. Let's hope there's a domino effect. And that's it for Excess Baggage. When I first saw that article, I was like, oh my gosh, it's a start. But I'm still cautiously optimistic for it. Mm -hmm. There was an article years back. It was before, I think it was before I was in the industry where they were like, oh, we're going to consider something where we will allow like small blades, like scissors into carry-on bags. And I'm just like, no, 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 no why don't we start with liquids and then we can move on to dangerous things like sharp objects. Okay. Like let's just do liquids. I'm sure there's a big push to get people to downsize. And so I would be willing to bet because of just the domino effect with the baggage and stuff that these airlines are really pushing for it. Mm -hmm. I'd be happy. I'd be happy too. I, just got a facial today and I bought this all-in-one cream now. So I don't have to carry out around like three different products. I'm like, just give me something that's just for travel. I'm not going to use it all the time. Just when I'm traveling, I can just have like one product. So I have solid shampoo, solid conditioner, um, solid little toothpaste pellets, everything, because you know me carry on or bust. Mm -hmm. So, but I would really love to just be able to bring the liquids that I that I'm willing to make room for yeah, and not have yeah. to go to such lengths. Shall I go on to my next article? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> my next article is from Travel Pulse and it is Mexico's top destinations beyond the beaches. Obviously I love Mexico and everything that it has to offer. I do actually get, or I'm getting more and more requests for things that are away from the beach in Mexico. And I don't know if anybody else is, but even today, in um, Lori Gold's Resorts of the Riviera Maya Facebook page, someone was like, I don't know where else to ask. Can someone help me with transportation in Querétaro? And so she tagged me. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the news is spreading about <laughs> the rest of what Mexico has. So these are some places that they are recommending. Guadalajara. It is a really beautiful, fun city. I want to say it's like the fourth or fifth largest city in Mexico. The downtown is amazing. 
And some friends of mine from here, younger people just actually moved there to get a little bit of a more ex exciting life. So it's one of the most beautiful and vital cities in Latin America, and its hotel and gastronomic services place it at the level of the best capitals in the world. In this fun city, the birthplace of iconic symbols of Mexico, such as tequila and mariachi music, travelers don't have time for boredom. In the city center, visitors can enjoy streets and buildings more than 500 years old and designed in Baroque, neoclassical, neo-Gothic, Art Nouveau, and contemporary styles. It's lovely. Then we have San Miguel de Allende, which is one of Teresa's favorites. I love San Miguel. Oh my gosh. I don't want to so be basic, beautiful. but honestly, I know I understand why people love it so much after going there. It's stunning. It's absolutely stunning. It's about an hour north of me. I go there pretty frequently. It is a charming and bohemian bohemian town located in Guanajuato, which is a state. Uh, it's one of the preferred destinations for visitors from the U.S. and Canada. The atmosphere of its cobbled streets and beauty of the parish of San Miguel Archangel, Archangel, Archangel <laughs> built in a neo-Gothic style, welcome tourists who can take exciting tours of historical monuments, art galleries, boutique hotels, and restaurants with world-class service. That is for sure. Love going just for the restaurants. This next one is on my wish list, San Cristobal de las Casas, which is in Chiapas. Chiapas is like a huge coffee area. It was founded in 1528, located in the mountains of Chiapas near Guatemala. Life is quieter and slower there. Its enchanting na natural environment invites the visitor to walk its countless paths and enjoy the fresh air of the thick forest in which this charming place locates. One of the most distinctive features of San Cristobal de las Casas is that it's the meeting point for the most important indigenous groups in Mexico, which allows visitors to learn the culture and tradition that today remains intact. Lovely. The next one is Merida. I haven't been here either, and I am not feeling really pulled to go because it is hot, hot, hot. But it is considered one of the safest and most fascinating destinations in Mexico. It's one of the cities that best integrates the heritage of Mayan culture with that of the Spanish colony because it is in the Yucatan Peninsula uh, and it is the capital in the state of Yucatan. It is an exotic place surrounded by lush nature and quiet provincial life in which visitors enjoy the beauty of its grand colonial mansions on the emblematic Paseo de Montejo and extraordinary cuisine offered in both the smallest restaurants and luxury hotels of international brands. I've heard nothing but good. It's just really hot. <laughs> I have become spoiled by the dry, cool mountains of central Mexico. So I'm sure I will definitely get there at some point, uh, but I'm definitely getting to San Cristobal de las Casas first. That's it for that one. All those sound amazing. If any, I mean, I feel like Mexico is so diverse and most travelers only get a small taste of it and it's and not the best taste and it's not the best taste. <laughs> no, it's really the, the mediocre part. Uh, obviously the water and the beaches are beautiful, but mm -hmm. the culture and the heritage is found in mo in many cases, not all cases off beach. So my final article is from travel weekly and it's, um, a legal piece by Mark Pastrunk about knowing when and where you can negotiate. And I love a good negotiation. I will tell you yesterday when I went to Home Depot um, to purchase some home items, 
I was in the Christmas section because I am pretty sure I gave away my Christmas wreath <gasps> last year because I've had I've had that wreath. I either gave it away or threw it away because it was just on its last leg. I've had it oh, for like gotcha. eight years. So I'm like, we need a new one. So I go to the Christmas section and there's one wreath that I love, but one of the berries was broken and there mm. was no other one on the shelf. And so I'm like, shoot, like, do I want to buy this one? I don't know. I'm just going to take it with me. I can, you know, fix it up. I might snip off that one berry. No one mm-hmm. can tell. But what I did was I went out there and I said, hey, I want to buy this. It's the only one left. This is broken. And $15 off. Sweet. Of a damaged item. So I'm always like, let me just ask. Let me just ask. Same with like any bill, anything. I just ask. Um, I don't know if you watch Love is Blind at all, but in the most recent season, one of the contestants, uh, he's from Nigeria. He says, closed mouths don't get fed. So I'm just like, I'm just going to ask any situation. Yep. I'm going to ask to see if the terms are malleable. So the question that um, Mark was asked, whenever I peruse a travel supplier standard contract, I'm struck by its one-sidedness. I often wonder whether any of the legal terms are negotiable. However, when I try to propose a change that would benefit our mid-sized agency, I'm usually met with a statement such as our policy is not to change that clause or some such excuse for saying no. In your experience, are some travel supplier contracts more negotiable than others? So this article gives a list of 10 common kinds of agreements, and he has ranked them from least negotiable to the most negotiable, and he gives details under each one. So I feel like as agency owners, or even if you work for another agency, I feel like part of the advocating for our clients is just, you know, don't be unreasonable, but if a situation calls for things to be a bit more gray, it's definitely worth asking. Um, and it's for our benefit, but also for our client's benefit. A hundred percent. And I'll yeah. say sometimes, like, <laughs> listen, I have to advocate for my client. Mm-hmm. Um, is there someone else I can talk to? I mean, I never want to be like, can I speak to the manager? But like right. sometimes, and if I know that the client is not entitled to something, you're like, you know, they're being unreasonable, whatever, I won't push mm-hmm. that hard. But when I feel that the client deserves some more consideration, I will push. And right. I'll push pretty hard, not to the point mm-hmm. of disrespect, but I'm like, you got to understand, I got to work on behalf of my client. Right. And so is there anyone else that I can talk to about this that might be able to get me the outcome <laughs> I'm looking for? I'd be like really nice about it. Like I, re- yeah, I understand oh, yeah. your position and um, then I'd be like, you please understand where I'm coming from here. Yeah. Um, so absolutely, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. Um, number one on the list of least negotiable is ARC and IOTAN agreements. Oh, yeah. That one, least negotiable. And it goes down the line. Um, next is airline override agreements. Third, car rental commission and discount agreements. The fourth mm. one is airline commission and discount agreements. Five is hotel commission agreements. Number six, cruise commission agreements. Seven, cruise group agreements. Eight, ship charter contracts. Nine is tour operator commission agreements. And the most negotiable on his list is hotel group contracts. Oh. So 
he details a bunch of um a bunch of these with like reasons why it's least negotiable or why it's more negotiable than not. I think it's definitely worth a read. Um, you know, just yeah, for your own information and for your own self-confidence of what you can ask for. And what not to waste your time on. And what not to waste your time <laughs> on. Exactly. Nice. Well, my last article is also destination focused like the last one. Um, it's from Travel Age West, Madrid Travel Guide, What's New in Spain's Capital City from Luxury Hotels to a UNESCO Site. I was in Madrid over the summer for the first time. It's a super affordable place, especially for food. I definitely recommend visiting. Like It, it really should not be missed if someone is going around Spain. I think a lot of people... I'm not going to lie, I would pick Barcelona, but I don't think Madrid should be missed. Pardon the traffic behind me. Someone's having a fit outside. <laughs> and there's a train at the same time. <laughs> so the article says, Madrid, Spain's second most visited city after Barcelona, is home to 3.4 million people of more than 180 different nationalities. Cosmopolitan and diverse, the capital contains a wealth of cultural and natural attractions and one of the continent's most celebrated food and drink scenes. I could not believe it. We went to kind of a, we were kind of on a big touristy street and there was a tapas place, but it looked really good, but you could tell it's probably like going to be tourist prices, whatever. There were five of us and we had so many tapas and a bottle of rosé and glasses of sangria and a couple of beers. I think it was 80 euro for five people. And the food was delicious. It was excellent. So anywho, um, Hector Coronel, CEO of the Madrid Tourism Board said, we're trying to build a new Madrid. We recognize that we need a good balance between tourism and the citizen. So they are refurbishing some plazas. They have 13 plazas or urban squares. These are hubs for socializing and dining. They're also centers for community celebration, particularly during the holidays. So it's no surprise that serious money is being invested in rejuvenating these spaces. I love a good plaza. There are a lot of new hotels and restaurants in Madrid. The Four Seasons Hotel Madrid, which opened during the pandemic, has so far flown under the radar. It's located on the corner of Calle de Sevilla and Calle de Alcala. The hotel is an architectural stunner that pays homage to the building's historic roots with plenty of swanky modern touches. The newly opened Thompson Madrid on Plaza del Carmen along Madrid's high-end Golden Mile has 174 luxury rooms and suites with a sleek mid-century aesthetic. Mid-priced Ocean Drive opened its doors earlier this year on Plaza de Isabel II opposite the Teatro Real Opera House, a four-star hotel. It has 72 spacious modern rooms, some with private terraces as well as a restaurant and a rooftop bar and sun deck. I did notice not as many rooftop options in Madrid as Barcelona, which might be a big reason why I said I would put Barcelona above it because I love a rooftop. But <laughs> uh, VP Plaza España, which overlooks the namesake plaza, is ideally positioned to capture both executive travelers and vacationers. It has 214 rooms and suites. It has a fitness center, spa, rooftop pool, plus 15,000 suites. Uh, square feet of flexible conference rooms. Value accommodation, Hotel DWO Uste Alcala has an easygoing minimalist vibe with an outdoor snack and cocktail bar. 
The social hub Madrid, about 10 minutes away from the Royal Palace, was created for students and long-stay visitors. Madrid has also welcomed a number of new eateries from prominent international chefs. These include Robuchon from the restaurant group founded by late lauded French chef Joel Robuchon. The interplay between the mathematics of spices and typical Spanish ingredients is the focus of NAMAC, which is by Nadim Siraj. Meanwhile, Dabiz Munoz, the named the world's top kitchen alchemist two years running by the Best Chef Awards, helms, I'm going to try to pronounce it, Rabiosho, it's with an X, Rabiosho, a pasta and dough-themed restaurant within the El Corte Inglés complex on Paseo de Castellana. And Nobu Madrid, opening in 2023, will bring the American icon to Spain in the form of a luxury hotel with a three-level restaurant and bar. And for Canadians, there are... There are Tim Hortons there. <laughs> you just want a <laughs> breakfast biscuit. <laughs> so there's a couple new attractions. Liria Palace is a 1770 palatial private residence of the Alba family and one of the most architecturally important buildings in the city that, that opened just prior to the pandemic. Pandemic. Pandemic only to shut down again this year. Their art collection contains paintings, sculpture, tapestries, documents of personal effects. Like the Prado, it's heavy on masters such as Peter Paul Rubens, Francisco Goya, El Greco, and Diego Velasquez. Unlike Madrid's best-known art museum, Liria Palace is rarely beset by crowds. As hard as, as hard as it is to believe, Madrid did not have any UNESCO World Heritage Sites until last year. This has been rectified with the designation of the Landscape of Light, comprised of the tree-lined scenic Paseo del Prado and El Retiro Park, Paseo del Prado stretches from Atocha Plaza to Plaza de Cibeles and contains dozen of dozens of historic buildings and monuments. Jeez, I'm done. Just kidding. Plus the entrance to the <laughs> massive Royal Botanical Gardens. So look for two more major openings next year as well. The Gallery of Royal Collections and the Santiago Bernab Barnabas Stadium, and those will usher in a new area, or that will usher in a new era of championship soccer for home team Real Madrid. Ooh. So we've got soccer, we've got art, we have architecture, food, and amazing hotels. So a lot of good stuff going on there. Guess I have to go back and check it all out. <laughs> well, I've never been to Madrid, so it's definitely on my list. I feel like next time I go, I need to do like Barcelona, Madrid, and a whole tour of Southern Spain. Yes. Well, Madrid's easy to fly into as well. So oh, if yeah, you started for sure. Madrid or ended in Madrid and at least got like two or three nights there mm -hmm. and then head south or, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's perfect because you can fly. We can fly nonstop from Mexico City to Madrid. And I know you can fly nonstop from a lot of other places as well. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. <laughs> has, has there been any destinations on your mind lately? Um, well, there's been a ton, but the one that's on my mind right now is Jordan, because I'll be heading there on Thursday with Trafalgar for their very first Make Travel Matter fam, which is focused mm -hmm. on sustainability. One of my favorite things, but more <laughs> social sustainability versus like an environmental sustainability. Oh, I love that. So I think we're visiting like a women's co-op in Jordan where they make like artisan goods and things like that and, you know, give them support in 
you know, having their own small business, things like that. So I'm excited to be able to experience that part. And then of course, Petra and Wadi Room and yeah. all that fun stuff. So what Amazing. about you? Well, because of, because of you, um, <laughs> all I can think about is Portugal. So <laughs> talking to our friends here that we all went to Spain together in the summer and we're thinking of putting together something either on the way to Asia for me when I'm doing Vietnam and Cambodia in the fall or on the way back, probably on the way over. And um, like so many people have been going there. So many people are talking about going there. I just need to get there and definitely want to do Madeira. So I think we're going to just make it so that perhaps we fly to Europe, spend some time there, and then the rest of the way to Asia, um, something like that definitely have to make it happen next year. Yes. So over Thanksgiving, um, so during the day I had Thanksgiving with my family and then in the evening we went over to some friend's house once it was like dessert for them. So we just went to hang out, have a few drinks and I brought over a couple bottles of the Madeira one I had brought home. And one thing I don't, I don't know if you know this, but we like to do PowerPoint presentation parties from time to time where we I did not know this and I'm Loving it. <laughs> like for one of my friends' bachelor art parties, we did a PowerPoint presentation party in the beginning and then we all went out. But we, if you guys don't know what that is, you choose a topic and you have five to 10 minutes to present on this topic. So you're teaching your friends or whoever is at your party about this one topic. Now I'm considering doing a themed one. Uh, so it'll be a PowerPoint presentation party for conspiracy theories. So you present your favorite conspiracy oh. theory and people get to learn about it. And then you people ask questions, things like that. So that's something that nerdy me likes to do because I love PowerPoint. People talk trash about it, but I'm like, you know, it is the most efficient visual. Truly. Thing. Yep. It's so like, uh, like varied, very, I can't even think of the word for it. Um, but at Thanksgiving, I basically did a presentation on Madeira wine and there was like audience participation. <laughs> I wanted them to know about the wine so that when they drink it, they have a better appreciation for the beverage. So it went as well as I had planned it to go. I love it. I'm sorry that I missed that. I might need you to just <laughs> present it to just me while I stare at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is something you've been loving lately? I have been loving the World Cup. I know you're not a big sports ball fan, but no, no sports ball. I, I will say, I, <laughs> oh, sorry. I will say it's very cute here when Mexico is playing. You walk down the street, and every door, everyone has it either on the radio or the TV. Everyone mm -hmm. is super into it. I was, we were in one of the plazas the other day and there was a group of people hovering around like the outside of a restaurant, but they had it on a big screen, you know, and people mm. were like getting excited and running around. <laughs> like I, I like the enthusiasm. Yes. I mean, it is such a huge global event and I, I'm very happy to see that in the U S the interest for soccer has increased. And I didn't start off liking soccer, you know, I, it's just, being married to a Colombian and just like being part of that whole culture. I didn't want to feel left out and all my friends like soccer. So it's just like, okay, well, if I want to 
socialize with them. I guess I have to get on board, but there's something about multiple countries coming together and yeah. just playing soccer. And you have that sense of community. And I remember going to Ireland one year with my sister and it was the world cup and there was a live band playing at one of the pubs, but they were not facing the audience. They were circled up around a TV. They were still playing. They were just watching the game while they were doing it. Yes. So, um, yeah, during this recording, U.S. is playing Iran. So after this recording is done, I'm just going to go walk down the street where all my friends are, where Gio mm-hmm. is, and finishing up probably the second half of the the game. So that's it's fun. Like, it's like the only time, not the only time, one of the main times where I truly, truly feel 100% grade A patriotic. Like, I yeah. will wear a freaking American flag. Yeah. And, you know, there was like a little internet picture of George Washington holding a flag and it's red, white, and blue behind him. He's like, what the heck is a kilometer? <laughs> USA. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, we all know. Uh, oops, sorry. Oh, I'm just going back to it. We all know how I feel about sports ball. Oh, yes, but- yes. If I if I'm going to be forced to watch something, I want it to be soccer because mm-hmm. I feel like these people are beasts. There's yeah. what part of what I can't stand aside from the fact that people let these athletes get away with anything just because they're talented is the constant stop go whistle whistle stop go like soccer players are running for 90 minutes straight. It just does mm-hmm. not stop. They are amazing and particularly women's soccer. I love. And the the lady, the women's U.S. team is just incredible. So if if I have to pick a sports ball, it's soccer for sure. <laughs> what am I loving? Yes. What are you loving right now? I am loving. So TPI is a member of the Signature Consortia. And it's relatively new, like under two years, like during all of the madness. And I have, all, I have been loving their their cruise platform for searching for cruises. Like it has been a game changer for the amount of time. And you know me, anything that makes things go faster, I'm so excited about. But now I've forced myself to start learning it to book on it with the exception of Royal and Celebrity, which are my biggest, but we have a secondary number with them. But everything else, I've been booking Oceana, Silver Sea, Norwegian, Carnival, everything. And it is so great. The more I'm learning it, the more I'm loving it. And I sent out a Black Friday email last week and I just got pounded with inquiries. And it was just so fast to be on the same platform. Mm-hmm. <laughs> quote, quote, quote. And then booking them and then having all my cruise bookings, except for my celebrity and royal, in one, one place. It's amazing. So it's gotten me really excited. I've been recording tutorials for the team and teaching my assistant how to use it, like really just simplifies some processes, which nerd that I am, any (laughs) sort of process simplification is just very thrilling. (laughs) So that's it. Well, I will have to check it out and maybe have my um, associate advisor who books mostly cruises take a look because... I think she'll she'll really get a lot out of out of that. So it has so much information. Like even uh, when you go in there and you're searching, there's a lot of information. But for those of you who have it, click the green book now button to go one step further. 
because there's so much ship information, which bars and restaurants are on board, what activities are there for kids and teens, like a lot of information. So particularly if you're newer and you're not as familiar with all the ships, that is like a gold mine. But I don't think people click through to that step because it seems like there's a ton of information before that. But trust me, click that green book now button to learn a lot more about the ship and the deck plans and everything else. All the rooms, which ones have obstructed views, how big they are. like. And then my favorite thing ever is blinky lights for the available cruise cabins. And they have that. <laughs> when you're old and you can't see that well, those blinky lights are really handy. Or when you're just trying to scan through really quick and see because you're you know, usually looking for a nice midship location. Boom. Very easy to see. I'm a nerd. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, I talked about speaking out over here. Parties, so <laughs> I <think we're> both- <laughs> maybe I need to put together a PowerPoint on the signature cruise booking engine <laughs> and make all my friends watch it. <laughs> Well, thank you everyone for sticking with us until the end. We hope this episode has been informative. All the articles we've referenced today can be found in the show notes. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to go and delete those travel news emails I've been hoarding for the past month. Absolutely. And once again, I want to repeat, if you are going to be at TPI Rocks and you see us, please come and say hello. We definitely want to meet you. Don't be shy. If you've enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, leave a review, and or share the show. Also head on over to our Facebook and Instagram pages, which are both under the Tin Lounge. We'll link them in the show notes. If you have any questions or comments, please shoot us a DM or email us at hello at thetinlounge.com. Thanks again for joining us in the Tin Lounge. See you soon. Bye.